And if you're the supplier overseas, you would prefer to not charge GST because obviously consumers aren't claiming GST credits. It's not like they they get it back anyway. It's cost borne by them. So if you can not charge GST, then you can charge them 10% less and you know, you're more competitive. So you want to be able to not charge them GST, but you can only do that if you fall into one of those three safe harbor categories. listening to Australia's Tax News Podcast. Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 197 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. Until the 1st of July 2017, we just had taxable importations. Apart from any customs duty at the border, You paid GST at the border or through the deferred GST scheme, and that was all. To hear more about taxable importations, please go back to episode 190. But taxable importations have two huge gaps. Taxable importations only cover goods, so no services and digital products, and taxable importations only cover consignments worth $1,000 or more. So any internet purchases under $1,000 were GST-free as well, giving overseas retailers an automatic price advantage of 10%. Until now. To fill these two gaps, additional legislation was bolted onto our concept of taxable supplies, so the rules around taxable importations didn't change, but the rules around taxable supplies did. To cover goods under $1,000, we now, from 1st of July 2018, have the rules around low-value good imports. Imported goods under $1,000 may now be subject to GST, and we covered this in episode 194. And to cover services and digital products, the second big chunk missing under the taxable importation rules, the so-called Netflix tax, came in as of 1st of July 2017. And it is this GST on services and digital products that we will talk about today. Here's Simon Dorovich of ANA Tax Legal Consulting in Melbourne. It covers importations of services, digital services and digital products. Obviously got Netflix here yeah, or Stan or you know, streaming of movies and television programs. It can also be games, uh, a computer software or apps for a phone, music, ebooks, an online subscription to a newspaper, anything really that you can get onto your computer or your phone from the internet. I think it also covers consultancy and offshore services. Basically, any service, anything you can't touch but you pay for is covered potentially if it meets the other criteria. It's not only these sorts of digital services and, and products, but also services like those that, you know, an accountant or a lawyer or an architect or sort of any kind of consultancy, you know, maybe they design a website for you, all those sorts of professional consultancy services, you know, can be captured by these rules as well. That's a huge topic, Simon, because a lot of us use 
offshore virtual assistants. That's a good example. And also offshore accountants. More and more accounting practices offshore some of their transactional work to offices and offshore companies overseas. So all of that would be covered by Netflix tax, potentially. Yes, though, you know, you refer to an accounting firm that offshores some of their work. They won't be captured by these new, not so new anymore, 1st of July 2017, these rules took effect. They won't be covered by these amendments because one of the conditions is... They are B2B. Exactly right. has to be a B2C supply. That then would also kick the virtual assistants back out because the virtual assistants are also probably B2B and not B2C. Yeah, probably, you know, unless it was, you know, for a hobby or something. When we discussed taxable importation, it covered B2B and it covered B2C to the extent that the taxable value was over $1,000. But when we then went to low-value goods, that only covered B2C, it didn't cover B2B, and now Netflix tax also only covers B2C, correct? Yeah, so both, you know, we've been focused on these recent amendments and what's changed in the last couple of years, and both acts not solely there's been sort of some other changes in terms of b2b but yeah our focus has been on supplies made to australian consumers and that's yeah true of what when we discuss low value goods and it's yeah also true today when when we sort of discuss extending gst to these you know services and, and digital products the basic system for taxable importation that also covers b2b so when you import goods tangible property over $1,000 into Australia, then you potentially have a taxable importation on your hands. But then again, you can probably claim an input tax credit. Yeah, and anybody can, you don't need to be importing for the purposes of an enterprise to make a taxable importation. You do to claim an input tax credit for it to be a creditable importation. But to make a taxable importation and have that liability of it. Or to receive a taxable importation, yeah. Then, uh, yeah, the importer doesn't need to be doing it for an enterprise. So the Netflix tax only applies to consumers. It doesn't affect businesses. Hence, accounting, offshore services, virtual assistants, offshore editors and web designers, etc. They are all not covered by the Netflix tax since they usually, as long as they provide their services to a business. If a consumer in Australia was to get accounting or, or legal advice that was for their personal tax situation and they're not a sole trader, it's not in relation to a business that they're carrying on, then they you know, those supplies that they're acquiring from the overseas lawyer or the overseas accountant could be subject to GST under these new rules. Or, you know, if they're getting services from an architect overseas, then that's obviously, I mean, it's unless it's for the office of their building, but if we're talking about, say, they get it for an extension to their home, again, you know, in that sort of scenario, they'd be acquiring supply as an Australian consumer or potentially, and so this new tax could apply in those sorts of situations. In about
about a minute the internet connection with Simon via Skype will start to drop in and out and so the audio quality of Simon's voice will vary a lot. Sorry about this. To avoid this issue in the next episode with Simon, I will fly to Melbourne and talk to Simon face to face. But for this episode, unfortunately, we are stuck with what we got. It will sound like Simon is talking underwater through a pipe for large parts of this interview. Just a bit of background about, you know, why the the rules were needed. At a high level, it's obviously from a policy perspective because more and more Australians were buying these sorts of services and digital products online and therefore, you know, like just with low, like with low value goods, there's this revenue leakage. But from a legislative point of view, the reason why they weren't already captured is, well, they weren't a taxable importation because we're not talking about goods here and, you know, as we covered already. So the reason why you know, the amendments had to be passed and why, you know, these services and digital products weren't already captured is if, you know, if we look at the definition of taxable importation, well, it can't be that because, you know, we're not talking about goods. And then if you look at uh, the definition of a taxable supply, one of the requirements is that it needs to be connected with Australia. And what we talked about you know, when is a service or, or you know, something other than goods or real property connected with Australia when we talked about exports. But, you know, just to very briefly recap, it looks at things like, is the thing done in Australia? You know, so a service is done where it's performed, a, a right is, you look at, you know, where was the contract created? So it's obviously easy for an overseas business to make a supply that's not done in Australia and then you look at does the supplier make the supply through an enterprise that it carries on in Australia? And you know, for enterprise, you look at does it have a fixed place in Australia or does it carry on business through one or more non-fixed places for more than half the year? And again, you can see it's it's pretty easy for an overseas supplier to operate through the internet without having any sort of place of business to constitute an enterprise in Australia. And so it wasn't sort of being connected. These kinds of supplies weren't connected with Australia under the existing rules that we had. And so how they've, you know, Treasury has addressed this is by creating a new category of supply of when, a new category of supply that's connected with Australia and that is where the recipient of the supply is an Australian consumer. I'm sure you remember when we went through the exports, we first had export of goods and then we had export of services. And so when we discussed taxable importations and we said this is only for goods, in my, in my bliss of ignorance, I assumed that sooner or later we would also cover the import of services as a general rule. And then it dawned on me that there isn't actually and taxable import of services apart from these new rules now. But until these new rules came in, the services were completely outside of the equation when it came to import, but they were taxed when they were exports. I mean, that's very one-sided. Why did we include services in the export 
definition, but we didn't include services in the import definition. Oh, that's a good question. I'm not sure I know the answer. Off the top of my head, perhaps it was because, you know, we didn't want to bring in overseas suppliers to impose on them a requirement to, to register for GST and to pay GST and lodge activity statements, knowing that it would be you know, discourage them from selling to Australians or it would be hard for Australia to collect that that GST. And whereas if you're dealing with goods then and taxable importations, then the goods can be stopped at customs and GST collected uh, at that point where they obviously have a much greater ability to collect it because they've, they've got, you know, they have your goods if you're an importer. Most exports are tax exempt anyway, so the net outcome is the same. It's just strange that import and export is so different in every respect. You would think that the roots just mirror each other, but they don't at all. Well, I suppose the, the purposes of the, the export rules are to set out when supplies are not subject to GST with you know the underlying principle being that if it's consumed outside of Australia, then you know that's not sort of within the the remit of of what should be subject to GST. Whereas importations, you're obviously looking at it the other way around. You know what can we bring in to within the scope of GST? So we say that a supply will, from 1st of July 2017, uh, a supply will be connected with Australia uh, and therefore potentially a taxable supply if it's the recipient of the supply is an Australian consumer. And there's two different elements of the definition of what makes an Australian consumer. The first is the residency element, so the recipient is an Australian resident, and for resident, it looks at the Income Tax Act definition of, of resident, with one exception. That is, if they're a resident solely because a resident of one of the external territories, that, yeah, and this goes back to the difference between Australia and the indirect tax zone. So if you're a resident, but only because you live in Norfolk Island, that's excluded from the indirect tax zone, then you know, you're not a resident for these purposes. And that way, it would be a strange result if you, you charge GST when you import a service in Norfolk Island, but you're not charged GST when you get a service wholly within Norfolk Island. So that's just a, a minor tweak to the rules. But the you know, main thing to remember is they have to be an Australian resident for, for tax purposes. And then the second aspect of the definition of Australian consumer is the consumer element. So you've got your Australian element and your consumer element. And consumer is basically the same as we discussed last episode for low value goods. If you're not registered or you are registered but you're not acquiring the, the supply to any extent for the purposes of your enterprise, then you satisfy the consumer element. I mean, that's pretty straightforward. The complication lies in this safe harbour exemption that you think about it, you know, we've just had the High Court use special leave in Harding, and that's a case where, you know, one federal court judge 
reviewed the residency situation of, of this guy and concluded that he was a resident. And then three other judges, the full federal court, you know, looked at the same evidence and reached a different conclusion. The Board of Taxes is looking into, you know, whether these rules should change. And, you know, it's, it's obvious to all of us that these rules are incredibly complicated and, and hard to apply in many circumstances. And so it's quite ridiculous to expect, you know, if I'm ordering some, you know, I'm signing up for Netflix, for Netflix to know whether or not I'm a, an Australian tax resident. You know, it's also hard for them to know if, if I am registered for GST, why am I you know, signing up to Netflix so I can have it on at the reception of my business? Or is it solely for personal reasons? It's, it's obviously very difficult for suppliers to know that, which is why they brought in a safe harbor rule that I'll, I'll talk about. I think some digital platforms, some softwares are emailing their users in Australia asking for a GST Number. At least I received a couple of emails saying, if you're registered for GST, please give us your GST number. They probably mean the ABN. Is there even a GST number? Yeah, I'm sure they made the ABN. Yes. Please give us the ABN, otherwise we will charge tax. Yeah, that's a good example. That falls within the safe harbour rules. There's broadly three different ways to you know qualify for this safe harbour. So if you're a supplier, you're allowed to treat the customer as not being an Australian consumer and therefore you don't have to charge GST on the supply if you can satisfy one of three things. So the first thing is the, this business systems approach, you know, similar to the, the business systems approach that we talked about for low value goods. And that's if their usual business systems and processes provide them with a reasonable basis for forming a reasonable belief about whether the recipient is an Australian consumer of the supply and they reasonably believe that the other entity, the recipient, is not an Australian consumer of the supply, then they can not charge GST. So there's two elements. The first, the business systems and processes need to gather enough information to form a reasonable belief, you know, the kinds of things that they could do that through, you know, when you when you sign up for something, you probably have to give a, a billing address or a mailing address, you know, you're probably paying by credit card that, you know, will be linked to an Australian bank account or, or yeah, sorry, an Australian, you know, financial institution or a overseas one, you know, you may have to give a phone number, yeah, is that an Australian phone number or, or an overseas phone number? You may have to select the country site. You know, are you selecting the Australian version? Or even if you, you know, select the overseas site, they can track your IP address and your all sorts of sort of tracking software that these websites have that yeah can tell them yeah you know, where are you when when you're placing the order. Yeah, if all these systems, sort of all these automated processes can gather a lot of information that can give them a good idea of whether or not you're, you're Australian or not. In some cases, it may be that you, there's conflicting information. And, and in that case, the ACO says, well, you, you know, you should weigh up the, the quality and the right reliability of, of that information and make a judgment. So... Yeah, information that's necessary for the 
commercial transaction itself is considered more reliable than information that's only gathered for for tax purposes. Yeah, they also say, yeah, consider does the consumer have an incentive to provide you, you know, with false or misleading information so that you don't charge them GST? And you know, if so, how how easy is it for them to provide that? So this business systems approach is all about, you know, setting up your sort of automatic business systems in a way that gathers enough data that would allow the supplier to have a reasonable basis for forming a reasonable belief about you know whether or not the recipient is an Australian consumer. Can you also just go about the product? So if the product is something that only businesses would use, it would be highly unlikely that a person would use this for their personal circumstances. Could you also just go based on that? It's not explicitly listed as a factor in the the EM or, or the ruling, but you know, they don't it's not an exhaustive list of, of factors that they say you, you can consider and And the list of factors is not exclusive. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I mean if it truly is something that could you know, it's virtually certain to be a, a business supply, then uh, I think it would be fair and reasonable to uh, conclude that, that the customer is not an Australian consumer. So we covered the first of three possible safe harbour rules, but it all hinges on this definition of Australian consumer, correct? It, that's basically the main gate we either go through or we don't go through, whether the person receiving the digital product or the intangible slash service, whether the recipient is an Australian consumer. That's the one big criteria, correct? The one big criteria is, as you say, is the recipient of the supply an Australian consumer. And then the follow-on to that is, you know, they may be an Australian consumer, but if you have a reasonable belief that they're not, then even if they are an Australian consumer, even if that reasonable belief is, you know, turns out to be wrong, you're entitled to treat them as if they're not an Australian consumer and not charge GST and, and the ATO won't you know, come back and say, well, they were an Australian consumer and therefore it was a taxable supply and therefore you know, hand over the GST portion. Okay, but it all hinges on this definition of Australian consumer. Yeah, and so the ATO says that if your supplies don't ordinarily involve any human interaction, the, you know, they're done through these automatic automated processes and you know these systems collect at least two pieces of non-contradictory evidence so you know I sort of talked about you know phone number and IP address and credit card details those sorts of things if your system as the supplier collects at least two of them and the information is non-contradictory then you can be you know sure that the ATO will you know will accept that that the suppliers you know that you have do in fact have a reasonable basis for forming a reasonable belief. Now, the next category, similar again to when we looked at low-value goods, is the, the reasonable steps approach. So I think as, as much as possible for efficiency, overseas suppliers will try to obtain enough information through their automated business processes. But in cases where you know, that doesn't gather enough information, well, you can supplement that with taking you know, additional reasonable steps. 
So for this part of the safe harbour rules to apply, one, you have to take reasonable steps to obtain information about whether or not the recipient is is an Australian consumer of the supply. And then two, after having taken those steps, you must reasonably believe that the other entity is it's an Australian consumer of the supply. So, you know, for example, you couldn't reasonably, even if you've got, you know, you take reasonable steps and gather information that gives you evidence that they're not a consumer. If for some other reason you happen to know that they are, then you obviously can't genuinely hold a reasonable belief. So both elements have to be satisfied. What constitutes reasonable steps is obviously a key issue because as the supplier, you you want to be able to rely on this safe harbour because if you don't qualify for it, then you're potentially liable for GST. If you don't charge it, then uh, you're out of pocket. And the answer is it depends, (laughs) of course, uh, as it always is. And what's reasonable steps in one situation, not reasonable in another, but the ATO says, well, look at the level of interaction that you have with the recipient. The more interaction you have, the more they expect you to to gather information. If it's sort of a, you know, if I press a button on my phone and it downloads an app, that's pretty minimal interaction that I'm having with Apple. But if I'm engaging an overseas architect to draw me plans to build a house, well, I imagine I would have far more interaction with them and there's far more opportunities for them to ask me for information for them to be able to form a reasonable belief about you know whether or not I'm I'm a consumer so that's one factor another is the type of information that a recipient would normally be willing to share in in the context of a supply obviously again a $1 app I'm not going to Just close your ABN. give them a lot of information about you know for something you know I might a lawyer overseas I I may I may trust more and give them more information about myself. And obviously the, the difficulty and costs involved of, from the supplier's point of view can be taken into account. So the ATO is, you know, if something is particularly expensive and, and onerous for the supplier to obtain that information, then the ATO would say, well, it's not necessarily reasonable for us to expect that you take that step. So one category is business systems, another category is reasonable steps. They are either or criteria, correct? You only need to meet one of them, correct? That's right. And they can interact in the sense that you may collect some information through your business systems and and processes, just not sufficient information. And then you can supplement that information that you've collected through business systems by taking additional reasonable steps. Each one individually may not collect enough information, but the combined effect is that you've gathered enough information to form a, a reasonable belief, then that's that's okay. So in the end, it all comes down to this reasonable belief, doesn't it? The business systems and the reasonable steps all come down to the reasonable belief. Yeah, that's right. And there's a, a third category that the ATO so there are other countries around the world that you know, are also imposing GST on digital products. And the ATO says, well, if you've set up your systems to comply with the requirements of an overseas jurisdiction, and that jurisdiction has comparable evidentiary requirements, you know, the ATO considers that the European Union, New Zealand and Norway have comparable evidentiary requirements, that's okay for 
for the ATO. They'll accept that you've qualified for this safe harbor. And I imagine over time as you know, more countries impose GST on, on these sorts of goods and digital goods and services, the ATO will probably add more countries to that list, which you know, will probably come in quite handy for businesses that are making supplies to many countries around the world. There's an exception to the safeguard, and that exception is if you, when I say you, I mean you as the supplier, if you believe that your customer is not an Australian consumer because they're registered for GST, that belief is only reasonable if they provide you with an ABN and they provide you with a declaration or some sort of other form of information that says that they're registered for GST. You can't reasonably believe that your customer is registered for GST unless you have an ABN and a declaration. And in fact, more so, you need to take reasonable steps to ensure that the ABN that they quote you is valid and it belongs to them. Yeah, that's just a bit of a, an extra requirement. If you, you spoke before about how, you know, you bought something online and they asked you, do you have a, an ABN? Yeah, that this is why they they asked that because if you didn't provide the ABN, they wouldn't be able to to hold a reasonable belief. And if you provide them with one, then they should then have you know say gone on to like the ABN lookup website or or something like that to. You know, to confirm that it's a valid ABN and that it is, in fact, yours. But it is a huge onus on the uh, SAS provider, software as a service provider, because, A, they need to know that there is such a thing as an ABN. So, for example, in the email I received, they asked for my GST number, so they didn't even know that it's called an ABN. And since they don't even know that it's called an ABN, I doubt that they will know that there's an ABN lookup, etc. So... I doubt that they know how to verify what they call a GST number. It's just a huge onus on the overseas supplier. That's true. You know, again, like we talked about with low-value goods, all the elements of taxable supply need to be need to be satisfied. So if they're a very small supplier, or, or at least very small in, in Australia, and supplying less than 75,000 per annum, then you know, they don't need to register and therefore you know, all of this is, is not applicable to them. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. So apologies, <laughs> apologies if, you, if you already mentioned that before. That passed me. No, I don't so think I did whole, mention it this, uh, okay. this episode. So this whole Netflix tax only applies to suppliers who have taxable supplies within Australia or to Australia of 75,000 or more. Yes, that's right. Unless they, they choose to volunteer, register voluntarily. But if they're not registered and not required to be registered, then they can't make a taxable supply. And it's also worth mentioning you know, another element of taxable supply, and that is that it's not GST-free you know, or input tax, but GST-free is the you know, the more relevant one here, because if you think about it, these rules are quite broad that could really capture a lot of supplies that doesn't really make a lot of sense to capture. For GST to apply, the supply needs to be registered, and also the supply can't be GST-free. So I think the two categories that are, you know, potentially could apply in these sorts of situations 
a supply made to a non-resident who is not in the indirect tax zone when the thing supplied is done. Though, yeah, if they're a non-resident, then yeah, they shouldn't be captured in in the first place because of the, the residency requirement. But if they're incorrectly captured, I suppose, then you know it could be GST free on on the grounds that you know if they're not in Australia when the thing supplied is done. And the other category of GST free that you know could be relevant here is a supply made to a recipient who is not in the indirect tax zone when the thing supplied is done and the effective use or enjoyment takes place outside of the indirect tax zone. So the, an example that they give in uh, either the ruling or the EM, I, I don't recall where, where I read it, is one of a, a hairdressing salon in Munich in an area of, of the city that a lot of Australian you know, tourists and, and backpackers stay. And it's obviously very popular with, you know, the Australians on, on holiday there that they sell in a, every each year more than $75,000 worth of haircuts and other hairdressing services to these Australians. If you look at, you know, are those supplies connected with Australia? Well, yes, because, you know, these Australians, assuming that they're just on holiday, that they haven't ceased to be... Australian residents. So they're Australian residents and they're either not registered for GST, most likely, or if they are, you know, they're not getting this haircut in the furtherance of, of their enterprise. They're an Australian consumer and therefore that supply is connected with Australia under you know, these amendments. They're required to register. We're prima facie. That's actually another change that no longer would they be required to register, but you know, under the previous rules, they would be required to register. And, you know, they're on their way to creating a, a taxable supply, but it's a GST-free supply. So that's what gets them out of it, uh, this hairdressing salon in, in Munich, because their haircuts are, are made to a recipient who's outside of Australia. And, you know, their use of enjoyment of the haircut is outside of Australia. It's a GST-free supply. And therefore, this salon in, in Munich doesn't need to charge GST. And yeah, as I sort of mentioned briefly before, under the old rules, those GST-free supplies, you know, would still be counted towards their turnover. And you'd have a situation where this hairdressing salon in, in Munich, even though they don't need to charge GST, they need to register for GST, you know, which is obviously a bit of a ridiculous situation. And so they, they changed the rules about you know, what counts towards GST turnover for registration purposes. The first category was business systems. The second category was reasonable steps. And the third category? Was the one about if you comply with the similar evidentiary requirements of an overseas jurisdiction. So, ah, yes. you know, if, okay. so if you set up your systems to... You know, if Norway says gather evidence about place of usual residence, Australia says, well, Norway's rules of GST and, you know, what evidence you need to gather to convince the, the Norwegian tax authority of your place of usual residence, for example, that will satisfy us that you've gathered enough information to, you know, determine Australian residents. So the main takeaway from this is basically for Netflix tax, it's all about whether the recipient is an Australian consumer. Yeah, that's right. If they are, then there is Netflix tax. And if there isn't, then no 
tax to pay. Yeah, that's right. And and if you're the supplier overseas, you would prefer to not charge GST because obviously, you know, the consumer consumers aren't claiming GST credits. It's not like they they get it back anyway. Yes, yeah, so it hits them at full force. It's you know cost borne by them. So if you cannot charge GST, then you know you can charge them ten percent less, and yes, makes you more competitive. You, you know you're more competitive. So you want to be able to not charge them GST, but you can only do that if you fall into one of those three categories of three safe harbor categories that we that we talked about. Welcome back. So Netflix tax is all about the concept of the Australian consumer. If the service or digital product goes to an Australian consumer and meets the other requirements for a taxable supply, then the supply of the service or digital product is subject to GST. We have one more episode coming in this mini-series about GST on imports. In episode 207, we will talk about electronic distribution platforms since these have some very specific GST rules attached to them. In the next episode, episode 198, we will start a new mini-series with Edward Chen of Wise Mentoring and Chen and Naylor. Over nine episodes, Ed will talk about practice management, pricing, marketing, team structure, fee parcels, you name it. Let's start tomorrow with the three pillars of growth. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode. <laughs>